What exactly is a co-ed? Is it just a young woman? So like a co-ed dorm? Yeah. I think that that's what it is. But he only killed women, but they were living in co-ed dorms, I think. Okay. I, I mean... I mean, are you a co-ed because you live with a man? No, I'm living in sin. Patu Ferrata Nectar. Okay. episode of don't touch that it's haunted a podcast where we talk about all manner of spooky macabre and taboo subjects um i'm grace and again with me is adam because uh i don't know if you've been paying attention to the news but omaha nebraska is not a place where you want to be hanging out with people right now it's true and we did have another guest but joe biden canceled well he's a busy man yeah apparently election something i don't know but uh, we do have Boo Radley here, and we were talking about how long it's going to be, because he's just sitting on our table right next to our equipment, how long it'll be before you can hear him on the podcast. I gave him 10 minutes. Adam thinks he's going to make it the whole episode, so we'll see. Uh, So this week, we're talking about something that uh, I've been super interested in since I was, I don't definitely in elementary school. I can't remember how old I was for sure, but um, it's kind of like what I can pinpoint as the launching off point of me understanding what murder was. Uh, So yeah, um, yesterday, as we are recording this now, yesterday was November 18th, which marked the the 42nd anniversary of the uh, Jonestown, everybody calls it mass suicide, but it actually could be referred to as a massacre um because contrary to popular belief not all of those people willingly drank the kool-aid and we're gonna get into that so yeah um like i said i was i was watching some tv show when i was a kid and somebody said something about drinking the kool-aid and my mom kind of laughed and i was like what does that mean and she explained you know there was this cult of people and they all drank this Kool-Aid that had poison in it and they all died. And I was like, how does that happen? Right? Like who does that? Like just, that's kind of my, uh, you know, where my fascination kind of sparked, I think. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you looked like you were going to say something. I was just throwing a color commentary. Oh yeah. yeah. It's a very good one. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I've just, I've been interested in it for a very long time. Uh, like I've said before on the podcast, I studied cults and serial killers in college. And so we very extensively got into the People's Temple. And so uh, that's where a lot of my knowledge is going to come from today. Um, of course, I, I looked up some articles and stuff because uh, I <laughs> I haven't been in college for several years now. So... Um, so yeah, I got most of my stuff today off of Wikipedia, and then also I listened to the podcast Cults and their two-part episode on the People's Temple. So there you go. Yeah. So you, I know that you know a little bit because I've talked about it before, but you said that you don't know a whole lot other than 
a bunch of people died, right? Right. Charismatic. 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 Charismatic dude mm-hmm. was all like, "Hey, let's die together and go see the uh, or transition to the next part of the world or something." Some religious thing. You're combining the two. You're thinking of oh god, oh god, uh, Heaven's Gate. Yes. Yeah, maybe I am. Yes, because that's where they they were all like, "Yeah, we're gonna die, and then we're gonna board this spaceship." Yeah, that, that's yeah. It. See, yeah. yeah, I don't know much about they, cults. I, they I all know... took out like what was it? like intergalactic insurance or something like that. We'll I know talk a little bit about like all of them, but sometimes that information. They is yeah, which I can understand that because they're all a little wackadoo. Well, so you look at the guy who didn't really know what Waco was. Yeah. Okay. Let me tell this story real fast. So again, I love cults. So I come home one day. And Adam's like, oh, I started watching this new show that I think that you're really going to like. It's this, like, FBI drama that uh, focuses around a cult. It's called Waco. And I was like, I told you a year ago that I wanted to watch this with you. And he's like, oh, well, let's watch it now. And we get about halfway through it. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I think that that's, that's accurate. I think that that really happened. And he's like, wait this really happened and you were so surprised that Waco was a thing. I felt so ashamed that, that as my significant other, you didn't know what Waco was. Yeah. I I spent a good week just going to people and being like, do you know Waco was a thing? (laughs) That's uh, and then my dad just recently moved to uh, this little suburb in Texas and he he was telling me about it and he's like yeah and it's like 45 minutes from Waco and I was like oh, Waco and he's like yeah I know Chip and Joanna Gaines right and I was like no no Ted Ted Waco the Branch Davidians the compound and he goes oh yeah <laughs> the cult thing <laughs> the cult thing that happened um yeah okay anyway so Jonestown Jonestown so get my papers out so we're gonna jump around a little bit uh, here because I'm just gonna like put in some facts about like, you know, oh, this is about his family and it's gonna be like 1972, whatever, whatever. And it's like, oh, well, this is about what happened in the church and then it'll be 1969. So we're gonna jump around a little bit. That's Stay we with me here. We went to the moon in 1969. That's when the, I don't know. Not 1968, but one year after. Thank you. Something that was lunar. I used to love Stephen Stevens. We, we need to recognize about how mm-hmm. these these uh, shows growing up, we're digressing, but right. these shows growing up have instilled these little tiny facts in us because now I'm That's never going to so forget. true. What? I'm never going to forget the moon landing next to Well, so yesterday um, at work, one of my coworkers was just like goofing off and he was like, hey, what's, what's the capital of this country? What's the capital of this? And he goes, Grace, what's the capital of Iceland? And I went, Reykjavik? And he's like, how did you know that? And I was like, bewitched. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I don't know if it's the capital. I just know that it's in Iceland. It's a city in Iceland. Mm -hmm. All right. So Jonestown. Segway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. So let me get my notes out. First part of my notes is on my phone. I forgot about that. All right. So just a quick little overview here uh, for if you don't know, the Jonestown Massacre um, occurred on November 18th, 1978, as I said. It took place at the Jonestown Settlement in South America, in the South American nation of Guyana. 
Jones had founded what became the People's Temple in Indiana in the 50s and relocated his congregation to California in the 60s. Then, in the 70s, following negative media attention, the powerful controlling preacher moved with some 1,000 of his followers to the Guyanese jungle, where he promised they would establish a utopian community. That's a red flag right there. If you have to move to South America... Right. That's a red flag. Well, I will. It kind of makes sense when I'll explain it later, um, because this uh, spoiler alert. This was uh, kind of like smack in the middle of people thought that there was going to be this like nuclear war and stuff, and so Did you talk about the Cold War. Sure, and that's what that was. Yeah, I'm not very good at history. Well, that happened around the same time we made the moon landing. Yeah, so. Yeah, because um, I think he starts talking about it in 64. I'll get into it. But basically, he thought that South America was going to be a safe place from Actually, a I'm nuclear war. The Cold War. It's in my head. You know, I'm not qualified to talk about that. <laughs> well, I know that, like, um, I think it was, like, in the 60s around then, they used to do, like, no, these, the... like air raid oh, yeah. drills where kids would, like, dive under their desks and stuff because they thought that the Russians were going to drop bombs on them. So I don't know if that's kind of what this is, I I don't know. I'm not an expert, and I, I don't pretend to be. I've been out of school for a while. Right. <laughs> Again, I, I was in college, uh, well, my freshman year was nine years ago, so. Um, alrighty, where was I? Uh, on November 18th, 1978, U.S. Representative Leo Ryan who had gone to Jonestown to investigate claims of abuse, was murdered along with four members of his delegation. That same day, Jones ordered his followers to win just poison lace punch while armed guards stood by. Up until 9-11, the Jonestown massacre marked the single largest loss of U.S. civilian lives in a non-natural disaster. Oh. Which, I guess, I didn't know until I looked this up the other day, but it makes sense. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? It does. It's one of those categories you don't really think about that right. exists, but it does. Just real quick. Yeah, please do. Me. Please do. Cold War was 1947 to 1991, so yes. Oh. It's a very long war. Oh. I don't know why I thought it was just like a quick thing. Am I thinking of Desert Storm? Because Desert Storm was real quick, right? Yes. It's like a year, two years, something like that. I think so. I don't know. More I had an uncle who was in that. I should know more about it. Cold Wars is basically America and Russia being like, I could bomb you. Well, I could bomb you. <laughs> so as I was giving that little uh, description, I remembered something that I feel like is uh, noteworthy. So I worked at the Summerstock Theater uh, two summers and uh, we used to do we all worked and lived together for three months and so we used to do these uh, theme parties and one time we did a gods and goddesses party and everybody was like really excited about it and they're like you know the girls are like I'm gonna be Athena and the guys are like oh I'm gonna be Zeus I'm gonna be Hades whatever I was like I'm going full on Jim Jones so I'll put a picture up on the Instagram I put my hair in a little bun and I wore these uh, sunglasses because he always wore sunglasses. And then I wore a like a white T-shirt and then like a black blazer kind of thing so that it looked like a reference shirt. And then I was just really quiet all night walking around with packages of Kool-Aid that I stole from Xavier. Oh, my God. I know. Did you give them back? I did because I didn't use them. I just walked around with Kool-Aid all night. It's 
That's fair. But yeah, so I've got some really great pictures of like, like I said, the girls are like Athena and I'm just Jim Jones and in the background. Um, but anyway, all right, so I digress. Yeah. Let's get to the, uh, the bad stuff. So Jim Jones was born on May 31st, 1931 in rural Indiana. Uh, at a very young age, he found his calling doing these sort of like church services for the neighborhood kids where he would stand on this platform in, I believe it was like his family's barn, um, and he would just preach to the kids. Uh, it was all good and wonderful until he started getting like power hungry because these kids were like, oh, he's pretty good at this. And he's like, yeah, I am. Watch what I can do. Um he became very domineering, and he even locked one of his friends in the barn as a test of will. Oh. And uh, then he started exhibiting one of the characteristics of the McDonald triad. He started torturing animals. Yeah. So you can't do that. You have two options if you start torturing animals. Uh, mm -hmm. get severe psychiatric help. Right. Or turn into Dexter. Two options. It's true. It's quite true. <laughs> It's who it's scary to. Uh, so flash forward to 1949, Jones married Marceline Baldwin. Um, in 1952, she introduced him to the Methodist church because up until that point, um, he, he struggled to find a church that really fit him because, um, again, this is in the, the 40s and 50s. He wanted kind of an all encompassing like people from different financial backgrounds. He wanted it integrated, you know, like he wanted religion for all essentially. Um, and the Methodist church was the closest thing that he could find to that. Uh, do, 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 do. So it was soon after that, that he registered with the Methodist ministry because, you know, he wanted to right. keep preaching. Um, he began working as a self-ordained Christian minister in small churches around Indianapolis. His goal was to lead the first fully integrated congregation in Indianapolis. And in order to raise money for his own church, he tried various ventures, including, and this is spectacular, selling live monkeys door to door. I'm telling you right now, if a man showed up trying to sell me monkeys, we would have a monkey now. We would. You are the most impulsive person I know. 100% we would have gotten a monkey from this man. <laughs> but uh, fun fact, he also, he had a personal monkey that he trained to attack people that didn't agree with him. It's like Pokemon. Kinda. Only, huh, it, it gets, you're like, oh, that makes sense that that guy would have done that by the end of the story I'm about to tell you. Um, so at a, uh, soon after that, at a Pentecostal conference, he was given the opportunity to preach in front of everyone, and he delivered an hour-long, fast-paced sermon in which he wove in these Bible verses, uh, kind of sneaking in his radical ideas, uh, such as integration. He was charismatic and high energy. He was an absolute success, and everybody loved it. After he saw how captivated people were by him, he decided that he would not only be a preacher, but a faith healer. Ooh, if you know anything about faith man. healing, yeah, it was, it was a big scam back in the day. Um, that might be a fun episode, too. I actually Cause, know a little bit about that because I yeah. research on Kenneth Copeland. Yeah, that D-bag. Well, Copeland's not a faith healer, but his mentor was uh, Oral Roberts was, yeah. Mm. 
yeah, that's who they're a whole brand of human. Uh, so of course it's all fake. And, uh, but people trusted what he was doing because he was just so charismatic and confident. And this charismatic thing is something we're going to come back to a lot because it's a key factor in a cult leader. Like 99% of cult leaders, people would be like, yeah, he was a very charismatic dude. Um, serial killers too. Cause people said that about Ted Bundy a lot, that he was a good looking Republican charismatic man. Um, da, 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 da. So he started getting more uh, attention and he started getting donations, which allowed him to start saving up um, to start his own church. And he had already amassed this massive following of people who had seen him at other services because he started, you know, going right. around to other churches and doing this faith healing stuff. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Okay, now I have to switch over to my paper documents. Give a good Brussels if you know the paper. Okay, hang on, let me, let me. There we go. Oh, and they all fell apart. I forgot that some of these are note cards. Okay, so. Um, so he starts the People's Temple in 1957. And by 1958, it only had about 100 people. Uh, but he was being, uh, Jones was being seen in this city as this social justice leader because he was doing what he really wanted to do. He was integrating people. You know, he had poor people, he had elderly people, young people. So he, he was doing it. Um, he opened soup kitchens and a nursing home, which made all of these outsiders be like, again, he's really doing it. This must be a good thing, right? right. Unfortunately, this was also a tactic that Jones used to recruit people who were desperate and lonely. Right. Because if you go up to this poor person and you're like, hey, I can help you turn it around and all of these people are here for you and whatever, you know, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. Um, so Jones's wife, Marceline, really wanted a family. So they began adopting. And uh, first they adopted a I believe she was a 10 year old girl who was a member who had been abandoned by her mother. So they adopted her. And then they adopted a uh, two Korean orphans, a boy and a girl. And unfortunately, the girl died in a car accident, I think maybe a couple years later. Um, so they then adopted her friend from the same orphanage. So they had two Korean children. Um, and then they adopted a, uh, a black child right after Marceline had gave birth to their biological son. And they raised these two as twin brothers. <laughs> yeah. Because he was like, my family's integrated. It's part of my message. So he called them his rainbow family. All right. Which is a good concept and it's good in theory, but not the way you're doing it. Because then he, you know, he used them to be like, oh, look at this. I'm, you know, I'm very uh, inclusive and... Don't you think I'm wonderful? And, you know, um, so some of the tactics that Jones would use to kind of hold power over his congregants. Um, and these are some common tactics of cults in general. Uh, he would collapse on the ground when somebody disobeyed him, saying that it was God being angered that they had disobeyed him. And uh, again, this is a comic tactic because it's basically like my behavior is directly hurting somebody even though if you think about it you're like 
This man's just falling on the ground. It's Willy Wonka and everybody. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Gene Wilder, man. <laughs> you can't mention Gene Wilder and then get upset when I am remiss. <laughs> well, I mean, didn't Johnny Depp do a version of that, the fake out too during his? I I don't it. think so. Not not like Gene Wilder did. Well, nothing like Gene Wilder. I know. His face was so expressive, and he, I remember I can't remember what movie it was, but basically somebody said something shocking, and he just kind of looks around, and the way that he did it was like just so hilarious. Right. But anyway, we're talking about a massacre of hundreds of people. So, um. So he also isolated his members and forced them to give up all their earthly possessions and they had to devote themselves completely to the church. Again, this is a common tactic because the idea is to get these people away from anyone that's going to be like, hey, something's not right here. Right. So, And then if you give up all of your stuff, you don't have anything. So you're like, all I have is the church. All I have are these people. It's very smart but it's very evil. Um, so also he started moving away from worshiping God and said that God was the goodness in each of them and that he was the paragon of this goodness. Um, and he reinforced this with his faith healings. People would, you know, see that and be like, he's some kind of like supreme godly being, you know? Um, so basically he wanted people to think that he was he it's was god. god right which is why i went with him for that uh, gods and goddesses party i get it <laughs> um so the and we kind of sort of talked about this already he started becoming paranoid that there would be a nuclear war and determined that south america would be the best place to survive so in 1962 he took his rainbow family on a scouting mission um and they were gone for two years and when he was gone, the guy that he left in charge started turning people against Jones. Oh, my God. And so when he came it's back, a it's a coup. <laughs> it's a mutiny. Uh, when he came back in 1964, nearly 100 of his followers had left. And so he knew that they needed new recruits. And so like a lot of cult leaders did back in that day, he was like, time to move to California. Damn. Because <laughs> there's a lot of open-minded people in California. Um, so that's when the, the group, I keep wanting to say the cult, technically it's a new religious movement. That's what I learned in school. Oh. It's a new religious movement. You're not supposed to call them cults, but we all know what they are. Did you know, technically, very technically, AA yes. is a cult? You've told me this. Have I? Several times. I'm sure I have. It, ju again, just in the technical sense, um, if it is, it's a good cult. I mean, yeah, but yeah, technically it is. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are stating that doesn't work and whatnot because of the fact that it's reliant on a religion. Well, don't you say like, not the Lord's Prayer, but something at the end of it? Uh, I don't grant remember. God, God grant me the wisdom to know the things that I can change and things I can't change. I can't remember what exactly it Isn't is. Isn't that like Breckett Ralph when he goes to like the bad guys anonymous or whatever and they say... Well, I, I'm, I'm bad, and that's good. I'll never yes, be good, the serenity, that's not bad. The serenity prayer. 
Terror is what it's called. Oh, okay. And God granted the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Mm. Um, yeah. Beautiful. I was taking a sip of tea, sorry. I couldn't provide your color commentary there. Oh. <laughs> okay, so to get people to move, he did what any logical person would do, and he told them that he had a vision that in 1967, a nuclear blast would destroy Indiana. So they all had to move to Ukiah, California, where it would be safer. That is a real fear back then. It, it really was. And that, like, I could understand how people would be afraid of that because I'd be afraid of that if someone today was like, hey. Bombs. Well, I think about like 2012 and everybody was like, the world's gonna end in 2012. And I was like, all right, I, I don't think that the world's gonna end. I think everything's gonna be fine, guys. It's gonna be fine. Like, yeah. but still, I made sure that that was a good day, and it was. Uh, I believe I watched a lot of Walking Dead that day because I was like, I need to watch this before I die. Walking Dead. Oh, twenty twelve. I'm yeah. I, I'm, I'm so it was like they were like on season three. I'm thinking of six six or six. That fun fact about that, that was my cousin Bobby's 18th birthday. And so he went to go see the omen. But uh, a bunch of us were like, what's six plus six plus six? 18. Bobby's the Antichrist. Yeah. Uh, there was a baby that was born on that day. Did yeah, they 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 went full crazy. They uh Yeah, they had it at six o'clock. Morning. Oh, six minutes. And the mom was a huge fan of the omen, so yeah, they they named him Damien. Wait. Back up. This child was born on six 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 at six o'clock. Yeah. At like six oh six. A lot of sixes were in play. I have to look up the whole story. So again, I read that. Or I had that on the radio when it was six six oh six, which was fourteen years ago. But yeah. Do you want the Antichrist? Because that's how you get the antichrist. <laughs> Ooh, I don't feel good about that at all. Okay, back to this. We get off track a lot. We do. <laughs> so uh, the move to California, Jones got 140 people to follow him, and they all moved into communal housing, and uh, material amenities were forbidden. So again, this communal housing was kind of a tactic because you, if you're living with all of these people, you feel like they're family. So if you're letting them down or you leave them, you're leaving family. Again, smart, but evil. evil. <laughs> uh, by 1969, membership was up to 300. And by 73, they had 3,000. And 70 to 80% of the congregation were black. So he kind of got what he wanted in this integration thing. Um, in 1971, the church had made so much money that Jones bought several tour buses and took a select group of his members to perform sermons all over the U.S. And they were a big hit, um, and they sold healing oils. You want to guess what that was? I have no idea. Olive oil. Ah. Cheap see, olive oil. I was, I was going the route of cooking in my head. Yeah, oh, <laughs> you knew. Um scraps of jones's old robes which Ooh. you want to guess where they got those were they not his robes no they got them at thrift stores oh yeah and uh oh also they sold photo ops with jones which is what i go to church for oh god it's just like i have scraps of old clothing from jeremy renner and then i definitely go and take pictures <gasps> of jeremy renner 
I joined it. Okay, I need somebody to create a cult that just like worships Jeremy Renner. <laughs> the constituents are called arrowheads. <laughs> yes, please. I need you to write a skit about this right now. You want me to write the Jeremy Renner cult? Yes, the arrowheads. Um, which, if that's not like a Facebook group of Hawkeye fans, they're missing out right now. Yeah. Like, that's so. I told you about that uh, that group on Facebook that's my favorite murder fans that also love Baby Yodas, and they're called the Baby Yodarinos. I joined today. I'm pretty sure they're called fans of Hawkeye Arrowheads in the comics. Oh, do they? They all have like cute little names. Stop plagiarizing. Well, I just, that's not really plagiarizing. That's like, just... that's like you using two years scripts. Did I steal that from something? No, but I'm just saying like, that's not really, you didn't trademark it. No, but you're directly stealing something and selling it as your own idea. I might be. I don't <laughs> You <remember>. might be. <laughs> Yeah, that's not going to hold up in court. I have plausible deniability. <laughs> um, so at these sermons, he would always have uh, one of his members be like a plant in the audience. And uh, th in the middle, this person would pretend to die. Oh. And then Jones would run over and resurrect them. And everybody would be like, he's so mystical. Like, he's the real deal. He just saved a person. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it was also around this time that the free love movement kind of became a pillar of the People's Temple. Okay. And members began sharing their partners with each other. Okay. Um, and uh, That's a choice. Yeah. And Jones once told people, he was like, anybody who wants me today can have sex with me today. And he slept with like 20 people. And he wasn't picky either, men or women, whatever. And uh, apparently he he would like convince both men and women, but I think mostly men needed convincing um, to have sex with him because he'd be like, well, I think once you do it, you'll like it, whatever. So it was like this weird sort of manipulative sexual assault, essentially, yeah. on all of these people. How did his wife feel about this? Not great. <laughs> Not great. Well... Here we go. So um, around this time, uh, Jones started an open relationship with a married woman in his congregation. So he's still married to uh, Marceline at this time. And he's having this relationship with a, a married woman. And in 1973, she gets pregnant with his child. Oh, damn. Right. So there's more paper flipping for you. Um, so before that, in 1972, and this is fucked up, one of the church leaders, Timothy Stone, and his wife, Grace, had a son, and Jones convinced Timothy, without his wife's knowledge, to sign an affidavit, affidavit stating that Jones was the child's father. Shit. Yeah, so he signed away his parentage without consulting his wife. Um... And she didn't know for the first several years of her child's life that this is what had happened. And Jones would later use it as blackmail. Because he'd be like, well, he's my son. Well, no, he's not. Uh, 
Okay, so another thing that uh, Jones used to do to make his followers feel isolated was he would accuse them of false crimes at church meetings. And then other people would like uh, berate them and sorry, I saw it. Saw a light outside and it made me think about what you said about owls. And I was like, there's an owl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which uh, the staircase, the owl theory. Tell me what you feel about it. Okay, so I just pissed some people off. I'll explain it to you later. All right. Adam's looking at me very confused. Um, so yeah, uh, at a church picnic, again, this is where it starts getting weird again. At a church picnic, he once faked being fatally shot and he like fell down dead, but then he rose from the dead and like walked into the church and the shirt that he was wearing was later like, framed in this like uh i think it was just in the temple and they're like it's the miracle shirt but no he just faked being shot how do you do that do you have a guy i think yeah i think he probably what he did was have somebody with a cap gun or something because people heard a shot right so i don't i don't know how it was done but i mean this man was a faith healer so he was good at you know um like he would if somebody had cancer he would do like sweat of hand tricks and pull out like these fatty masses that were just like animal fat you'd be like this is your tumor and everybody would be like hooray oh my so i mean he knew how to fake stuff like that um so this furthered the belief that he was some sort of spiritual being and uh he used this event to convince the congregation that they were in danger because somebody was after him Someone's trying to kill him yeah and uh probably the entire congregation so security started increasing then which uh, sometimes can be a good thing but uh in cases like this it's not so in 1973 journalists be uh, began to investigate claims of child abuse within the church these journalists were bought off as they often are in these uh, situations and the stories never surfaced but that same year jones was caught soliciting a sex worker who was actually an undercover cop nice and uh this th again i have a lot of feelings people our system is flawed and i'm going to give you an example right now he was able to avoid charges by claiming that he had a urinary tract infection and he had to stimulate the area every so often as treatment. Ah, the UVI defense. Classic. Yeah. And they were like, oh, we're very sorry, sir. Be on your way, please. So uh, this is when he decided that it was finally time to build their utopia in uh, Guyana because they're like, hey, we got these people saying that we're beating our kids. Spoiler alert. They were beating their kids. And we also got these other people saying that uh, I could be in legal trouble because he was in legal trouble. So we're going to get out of here. Yeah. So that's when um, construction began in Guyana. And basically he sent all of these workers down. But it was like this desolate kind of isolated community. And he didn't send like agricultural stuff first. So these people had no food. It was miles and miles away from the nearest town. Like there was no housing, whatever. Uh, so it was it was very bleak for a while. And he would go down and shoot these like propaganda videos and he would bring with him fruit and be like, look what I just picked off this tree right here. And so it was very false advertising. 
And it made me think of that scene in uh, the interview, which you've never seen. But uh, Dave Franco, not Dave Franco, uh, James Franco's character is driving by this grocery store. And he's like, look at all that food. And they're like, yeah, see, we have, bu- we have a bunch of food here. And then he's depressed one night. So he's like walking the streets and he walks into the grocery store and he's like, it's all fake. because yeah. It's all fake food. And later he's talking to Kim Jong-un about it. And he's like, I saw a fake grocery store with a fake fat kid in the middle. Like, It's funny. Anyway. You should watch that movie. It's pretty. It's pretty great. Don't you shake your head at me. That is a phenomenal movie. No, it's, it's so funny. It's phenomenal. All right, where was I? Um. So, uh, back to his tactics. Joan would often try to destabilize members by demanding that they divorce their current spouse and marry someone new. Oh. And they're like, he's like, this is what God wants. Do it. But it was all, you know, just so they never felt safe. They never felt stable. They felt very uncontrolled, which is what you do if you're a cult leader. Are you taking notes? I'm not trying to start a cult. You could be a cult leader. I tell I tell him this all the time. If he wanted to be, he could. You're very charismatic. It's dude. too much work. It, it really is. It really is. Uh, well, and you'll see by the end of this, he gets very burnt out. It's, it's a hard job. Um, I said that already. Um, so as I kind of alluded to before, physical abuse was used as a punishment for both children and adults. And the adults even had this boxing ring where it's like, you did something bad, get in the boxing ring and this person's going to fight you. Oh, yeah. So a little fight club with your religion, little fight club. Uh, What's the first rule about people's temple? You don't talk about people's temple. Um, In 1976, uh, Grace Stone defected from the people's temple. As you will remember, she's the woman whose husband signed away her child. Um, Is this that blackmail we heard about? This is that blackmail. So she had to leave her son behind because Jones was like, well, he's my kid. You're not taking my kid. and when she learned that her her son was being turned against her, basically, she sued for custody. And Jones panicked and did what you do in that situation. And he was like, time to move to Guyana. And he took the son with him. Shit. Um, and that was in 1977. So his, I believe his whole family moved down with him. His rainbow family. Uh, around this time, he told his members that the U.S. government had turned against them and that it was time to leave. So that's how he got them all to go. Uh, by September 1977, nearly 1,000 members had moved to Jonestown, um, which again was in Guyana. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't think I ever explicitly, well, I guess I did at the beginning. Uh, many of these people left in the middle of the night and without telling their families because they knew that you know, their families would try to stop them, which means that in the back of their minds, they knew that it wasn't the right thing. Listen to your guts, people. Yeah. They're there for a reason. Um, not victim blaming. I'm just I'm just saying, if you feel like something might be amiss, it's probably a miss. So uh days later, Jones staged a siege on Jonestown and told everyone uh that covert covert operatives were after them and wanted him dead and would kill anybody in their way to get him. So for nearly a week, no one was allowed to rest because they were just on high alert constantly. Uh, This is when he started implementing 
suicide drills that he called white nights. Uh, sirens would blare in the middle of the night and everybody would have to either wake up or stop what they were doing or whatever and gather in the pavilion and listen to Jones preach about how they had to perform uh, revolutionary suicide is what he called it. Of course, these were always just drills. And uh, before they moved to Jonestown, he had conducted one of these in California where he had everybody at this banquet hall and he was like, yeah, everybody drink some alcohol. And they were like, you never let us drink. We're going to take advantage of this. So they did. And then at the end of the night, he was like, hey, I poisoned your drinks. The end is nigh. And so, you know, people are like freaking out, whatever. And then at the end of it, he's like, Never mind. It was all a test and you all passed. Oh, it's nice. about your loyalty. Um, so that's kind of what these became. These were just sort of like, we're, we all have to die for our cause. Are you in? And they'd be like, yeah. And he'd be like, all right, cool. It's just a drill. Everybody go back to bed, whatever. Um, and so this was a sort of like psychological conditioning because if you always assume that it's a drill, what happens the time that it's real, yeah. and we'll get into that. So it's just like the uh, the hostage killings of ISIS with James Foley, because they would do drills of them killing them. Yeah. And so they would just give uh, their speeches and not expect to die, and then. So one night in 1978, soon after Jones's mother had passed away, um, he started becoming very erratic. And he implemented one of his white knights and told everybody to gather in the pavilion and he's preaching. And then he's like, this is it. This is the one it's happening. And they rolled out these vats of juice and he was like, they've been poisoned. Everyone needs to drink it. Um, but then his, his son, Stefan stepped in and was like, Hey, so just so everybody knows this is fake. So, and it was, that wasn't the real one. No. Uh, yeah, no, who we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> the real one's much more horrible. So uh, punishments got worse around this time. Food would be withheld from people that, you know, were not doing what Jones had told them to do. Um, there were public floggings. And sometimes people would even be sentenced to time in the pit, which was just this big hole in the ground that they would be thrown into. Oh, shit. And if you were in the pit, you couldn't have food and you couldn't have medical attention. Because, again, you were thrown into a pit. You might have broken something on the way down, but nope, we're just going to let that uh, let that be a thing. Um, so after a member of the People's Temple managed to escape Jonestown and make it back to California, he spoke to a reporter about the horrors of what he had witnessed in Jonestown, which I just told you about. Um, these reports coupled with the complaints of his constituents from family members who had people in Jonestown prompted Congressman Leo Ryan to plan a trip to Jonestown to see for himself what was going on. Because he's like, well, my people are concerned about their families who are all still technically citizens of California. I'm going to go check it out. Uh, so meanwhile, Jones designed lesson plans for the children where they had to spell out sentences that declared themselves socialist guerrilla warriors and would even say things like Timothy Stone is a violent traitor, who you remember is the man that signed right. his child over. 
Um, cause he, I can't remember if he had defected or he just, he wasn't in Guyana at the time. Um, adults were made to learn Russian because uh, he was like, we might have to escape to Russia at some point, be prepared. Uh, communication to family members in the U S was heavily monitored and followers were told that the Guyanese government would shoot them down if they ever left Jonestown. So people are like, okay. Well, I can't tell my family what's wrong, and I can't leave because I'll die. Right. So. I don't want that. So here we go. So we're getting, we're starting to get into the event here. Um, on November 17th, 1978, Congressman Ryan, along with a small group of reporters, an NBC news crew, and several concerned family members entered Jonestown. They were met with happy dancing, or uh, with happy dancing members who seemed to be uh, very far away from the terrors that had been reported. So these people, they're just having a great time and they're like welcoming everybody in. And it looks like the utopia that it was promoted as Jones even brought, uh, Grace and Timothy Stone's son out to proclaim that he was happy there and he didn't want to return to his parents. He would much rather stay there with Jones. Uh, Congressman Ryan got up in front of the group and there, by the way, there is video of this. If you want to go, it's all on YouTube. I want to know more about this Congressman Ryan. Like, why is he involved? I just told you. Uh, so he, he's the Congressman in California. Oh, okay. And his constituents are like, Hey, my family members just moved to this Jonestown. I need you to get them back. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I see. I'm just picturing like this Congressman Ryan is like a, the hero of the situation. He just, kind of was. Just been like. I'm a man of law in California. We are going to bring our citizens back. I mean, that's what it was. It was that concerned people that he was, you know, supposed to look out for were like, this thing is happening. And he was like, I'm going to take care of it for you. Congressman. As a politician, sure, should. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't end well for Congressman Ryan. Fuck! I know. I know. Uh, um, but yeah, so there, there's video of this and you can see it. Uh, he gets up in front of the group and he admits that what he saw seemed nothing like what he had heard from his constituents. Um, and the crowd stands up and just starts cheering like for a really long time. And one of the women that was there as part of his group said that it was, it was very eerie that it, it didn't seem right that people were like cheering because they heard something that they liked, but it just, it, didn't seem right. So watch the video. It's very, you'll see. Um, so they're like, all right, everything's cool. Well, as the group was preparing to leave, one of the reporters revealed that someone had passed him a note asking for their help to get out of Jonestown. And then other members of the group were like, yeah, somebody talked to me too. So they turn around and go back. Um, which was the thing that they should have done and the thing that they simultaneously should not have done. Um, but I mean, good for them for doing the right thing because right. those people had to get out of there. Uh, the group returned the next morning announcing that they would be taking everyone that wanted to leave with them. Joan seemed sad to see them go, but he was like, yeah, you're free to do whatever you want. I mean, if you yeah. want to break up our happy thing, but you go. Uh, so, as this uh, this group drives away, member Larry Layton ran towards the vehicle saying that he wanted to leave too. And one of the defectors leaned, leaned over to one of the reporters and was like, that guy would never defect. Like, something's wrong. 
that guy's like a loyalist. Right? We're on to you, Larry. Yeah. So they're like, okay, something's not right. But they they continue to uh, Port Kaituma, I think is what it's called. Sorry if I got that wrong. Uh, where the the airstrip was so they they get there and they're preparing to board the plane and they had to wait for a second plane to come because they had more people than right. you know than they had come with so they're getting ready to board and two trucks pull up um both carrying men who are armed with these guns and uh everybody's kind of like oh more scare tactics okay whatever well the men open fire Check on everyone yeah trying to leave um and larry layton the guy that ran out and was like i want to defect too he began attacking one of the pilots fucking larry yeah um so by the end of the attack congressman leo ryan reporter don harris cameraman bob brown photographer greg robinson and defector patricia parks had all been killed in the incident but we lost ryan i know i'm out i know um, he's just trying to be a hero. And he was. That's the thing. Like, he did it. He did it. He just. He didn't get the chance to go all the way. Um, almost everybody else was wounded. And one of the women, I can't remember her name, but she's in government now. And she wrote a book about it. She was shot five times and she had to wait like 24 hours for medical attention. And she survived that shit. Like, you go. I know. Um, so back at Jonestown, the sirens began blaring, and Jones's voice came over the PA saying that several temple members, all on their own, all without Jones telling them to do anything, uh, had went after the group and attacked them. But of course, everybody was like, mm, okay. yeah. uh, it was time for another white night, but this one would be real. Uh, some of the members were on board right away so there was a like a um command center kind of thing in uh georgetown and one of the women there was like all right white knight on it immediately goes home grabs her three children kills them all Shit. and then kills herself and uh those were the first victims of this mass massacre uh so for everybody else in the pavilion, um, most of them were still a little clueless as to what was really going on. So they watched Jones walk out to the stage and proclaim, if we can't live in peace, we can die in peace. And after this statement, the crowd goes wild. Like they start cheering. They're like, yeah. So it worked. What he wanted worked. Like that's how they responded to being told that they were all going to die. Yeah. Like, um, again, there's... There's video of this. There's um, audio of it. If you're up for it, listen to it. It's fascinating. Like, and the whole time, shoot, I was going to look for it and I was going to try to read some. Um, but the whole time people are, spoiler alerts, taking this poison. He's like just like preaching and saying all of these things. And it's like, it's madness. It, it's so interesting. Um, so check that out. So Jones then addressed all of the parents, saying that if they didn't kill their children now, that they were going to be slaughtered by the American government. So it's basically like, well, if you care about your children, you'll kill them now before something worse right. happens. So, oh, my God, I ripped my notes. This is why you do it on your phone. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, ooh, 
we're getting into a common misconception here. So uh, a vat containing a juice uh, was rolled out. Everyone thinks that it's Kool-Aid. You know, don't drink the Kool-Aid is the thing. It was actually Fruit-Aid. Oh. Yeah, so it wasn't Kool-Aid at all. Well, that's good for us Nebraskans. I know. Um, So, yeah, so this this vat-containing fruit aid laced with potassium cyanide was rolled out, uh, much like that night that uh, he rolled out the juice and his son had to be like, no, 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 this isn't real. Um, Jones made everybody line up and instructed them to give it to the children first before taking it themselves. So while this was going on, several of the members took the stage, encouraging others that this was what needed to be done, blessing Jones and singing his praises. All after having taken the cyanide. Like, yeah. Um, This continued even as the children began coughing and falling down dead. So these, these children are just dying and people are like, yes, this is what we need. And it's, oh, God, it's. I can't even. Um, It even continued as some of the adults who were either forced to do this against their will or were only beginning to realize that it was real um, began screaming and crying. So that's another thing is that some of these people were forced at gunpoint to do this. Like not everybody was just like, yep, let's do it. Some people were like, it was like, do this and basically fall asleep or I'm going to shoot you real painfully. So, um, So several members were able to escape the crowd and hide in the jungle undetected while this horror raged on. Um, And then, so everybody died. And hours later, one of the members that had managed to escape returned uh, and just saw bodies everywhere, just scattered. Um, And near the stage lay Jones dead from a gunshot wound to the head. So we're going to talk about that here in a minute. Okay. Um, 913 people died. A third of them were children. So 300 children. Yeah. I hate that shit. Yeah. I hate that shit. Um, that's like in, in Waco, all the kids died. Yeah. Like it's, it's fucking off because it's not even like I just remember it's not even their fault that they're there. Not that it's anyone's fault that they're there, but like you know what I mean. Like I remember googling. I really just wanted to Google if uh, Thibodeau and his wife were still together, and then I, I looked at you like, found Fuck. out. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> no, they're not. We need to read his book. Poor Thibodeau. I, I feel know. real bad for that guy. I know. Well, I don't know how much of that was actually real. Well, it might have been. No, he said that. Uh, I looked it's at pretty the, accurate. I, yeah, I looked at their things. So, like, I understand that you have to take some dramatic license because you're making right. a movie, a TV, special. a drama. Um, but most of it was pretty accurate. And then, of course, the FBI agent was very happy with his portrayal, right? Because he was portrayed as the fucking hero. And he was. He was, yeah. Um. So. There were fears that the White Knight would expand to all of the People's Temple location um, because they still had the one in California. And then, like I said, there was the uh, the Georgetown headquarters. But uh, Stefan Jones, who, again, is uh, Jones and Marceline's only biological son, 
he was he was at the George, Georgetown headquarters and he was able to contact other leaders and kind of calm everybody down. Um, so nobody, there wasn't another like big revolutionary right. suicide, but in the following weeks, some members uh, committed suicide wanting to follow Jones's lead. Um, but others tried to lean on each other on uh, other members and survivors for support and solace, which I mean is what you have to do to get through that really to yeah. lean on people that know what you're going through. Um, so this is why I said, we'll get back to the gunshot thing. So you would think like, oh, Jones, Jones killed himself with everybody else. He shot himself in the head, right? Um, I'm going to tell you why I don't believe that. Oh, it's a, a, one of those things. It's a conspiracy theory. Just like Waco. Just like Waco. Uh, hey, man. We don't know if he killed himself. I, he was shot. Yeah. No, but like he would, he was shot. I don't think they proved that. Like he was shot before the fire broke out. We need to watch it again. Anyway. Um, I, d I don't believe, though, that the uh, Branch Davidians started that fire. I really don't. I also don't know if I believe that the police did, though. But as you saw in the TV show, that gas that they used had, like, been known to cause fires. So I think that's sure. what happened. But we're not talking about Waco. Right. We're talking about Jonestown. Um, so during early white night drills, Jones claimed that he should stay behind in the event of re revolutionary suicide to carry on the People's Temple legacy, which is what a real hero does, right? Sure. Right? Um, the men who shot Congressman Ryan's group left one of the two planes unscathed. So a lot of people think that that's because they knew that Jones was going to have to escape in that plane. Um, and before the white night began, Jones had instructed two of his members to leave Jonestown with a suitcase full of money. And one of the two men had a pilot's license. So those are some pretty big winky dinks. Plus the gun that killed Jones was found more than 20 feet from his body, suggesting that it wasn't a self-inflicted wound. So the, the, uh, Official story is that he shot himself, right. but uh, I don't buy it because somebody who's that self-involved, probably not going to do that. Right. Not probably not going to do that. Um, so, so only 33 people survived this event. These are all the guys who escaped in the jungle. Um, I think... I think maybe it's also counting the people that survived from Congressman Ryan's group. Um, but I am not entirely sure. That just might be. Oh, so uh, I think four of Jones's children survived this. One, of course, was his uh, his biological son, Stefan. It's not his biological son. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yes. So what happened to the other kid, the kid that he that was signed over to him yeah he died ah, yeah he didn't make it Fuck. i know story sucks it it's not a good story it's it's it never claimed it to be i started this off by saying 900 people died yeah but you have little nuggets that you think are good but no fuck. there's not there's no good in this <laughs> congressman ryan um 
I mean, the the stories that came out of it and the like the survival stories are pretty great. But other than that, like, um, so I found this little tidbit on the Wikipedia. So I don't know how accurate it is because Wikipedia, um, but I thought that it was interesting. It says, did you know more than 400 unclaimed bodies from the Jonestown tragedy are buried at the Evergreen Cemetery in Oakland, California? where many of Jim Jones's followers were from. A stone memorial to the Jonestown victims was unveiled at the ceremony in 2008. Now that kind of makes sense to me as something that could be true because uh, I mean, they, they took in a lot of like, you know, homeless people right. and, you know, um, kind of these people that others didn't want. So it makes sense that they wouldn't have been claimed, but um yeah, that's it. That's uh, that's the Jonestown massacre. Damn. So, I know. Dark. It's very interesting, and I like. We could have done so many episodes on this because it's it's very complex. Jones himself is a very complex individual. I do a whole episode on Congressman Ryan. Yeah, I mean you could. Yeah. But uh, let me. Do you have any? Do you have any questions? Anything that I didn't answer? I'm a wealth of knowledge on this subject. Well, I'm going to research Congressman Ryan. Okay, um, him I cannot tell you. I got a man crush on this guy. Do you? He, I, he was a very good politician. Well, well how many, how many congressmen is... would actually get on the plane and go to South America to rescue your constituents? Exactly. That's like your job as an elected official is to protect your people, and that's what he did. That's what he did. It's, oh my God. Um, okay, so if you want to know more about uh, about Jim Jones in general or about the People's Temple, you can read Raven, the untold story of Reverend Jim Jones and his people by John Jacobs and Tim Ritterman, who I believe Tim Ritterman was there. Okay. I believe he was part of the group that went down. Um, shoot, I had another one. Um, also, and I, I believe that this is just a collection of stories from the survivors. Uh, so I don't have an author and I'm sorry about it, but it's stories from Jonestown. Um, and his son, uh, he has a really good one in there too. So, uh, like I said, there's lots of videos. There's full documentaries on YouTube that you can watch about this, uh, not for the super faint of heart, but again, it's very interesting. Um, so yeah. Well, don't drink the fruit aid. Don't drink the fruit aid. Does it ever tell you what kind of flavor of fruit aid it was? Did someone know this? No. Well, then I'm out. No. <laughs> After you told me this. I'm inclined to think that it was cherry because I think that that was the most popular one at the time. Gotcha. Right? I mean, you think Kool-Aid, you think red. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't know what color cyanide gives off. So maybe it was something dark to cover that. Like, so people didn't think yeah. about it. I don't know. Like I said, I'll put up a a picture of myself dressed as Jim Jones for that party. Um, and I understand. Because <laughs> part of me was like, should I really be dressed as Jim Jones? But then the other part of me was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to put that up on my Instagram. Um, so we are on Spotify and uh, 
Google Podcasts, and I, I believe we're everywhere that you listen to your podcasts now. Um, we are on Don't Touch That, or we are on Instagram at Don't Touch That It's Haunted. You can email me at Don't Touch That It's Haunted at Gmail. Um, please let me know if you have any cults, serial killers, anything like that that you would like me to discuss. Um, any interesting facts that you know about Jonestown that I missed, uh, or just you want to talk to me about something creepy, talk to me about something creepy. Just don't be creepy. There you go. Yeah. So, um, something that we used to do in earlier episodes was talking about something spooky about yourself. And we've gotten away from that because you've been my guest a lot. Can you think of uh, anything? Uh, well, we own a piece of Spawn Ranch. We do. Different cult, but yes, we do. <laughs> That's, I remember. So uh, as we've said before, we, we do some prop collecting and um, Adam's got a guy who knows that we're into these like little set pieces and stuff. Um, cause as I said, we, we have like a piece of the fireplace from evil dead and, uh, a piece of the house from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And, um, we also have some of the Shawshank Redemption tree Yep. and, uh, a set, of set of Winterfell from game of Thrones. And we have some blue meth and just all this stuff, whatever. So he's got a guy that has those blue pieces. Blue meth from Breaking Bad. We just, we don't have regular meth. That's blue. Yes. <laughs> So uh, this guy reached out to him and was like, hey, I've got some Spawn Ranch pieces. And if you are as into the Mansons as I am, you know that Spawn Ranch is where they lived for a time. And I knew it. I knew it in my little heart that uh, it was very unlikely that they had come anywhere near this piece because it was just like a piece of pipe, um, like like plumbing or something. I don't know. And, uh, but I was like, I need it. I need it. I need it. So we have it. If nothing else, it is a part of cinematic history because they use Spawn Ranch to film Westerns. There you go. Yeah. Uh, someday we will tackle that. But I, I really pride myself on being able to do that in conversation. Somebody brings something up and I'm like, oh yes. Did you know that, uh, Ted Bundy once escaped from jail by jumping out a window or, um, Oh, yeah. Did you know that uh, Jeffrey Dahmer once gave his neighbor a sandwich and the neighbor still doesn't know to this day if it was human flesh or not? That's true. That's freaky. Yeah, it was in a documentary about him. And the neighbor was like, when when she found out what he had done, because she was like, he was a nice guy. I didn't know, whatever. And she was like, I, I've given you food, man. You gave me a sandwich once. Now I have to live with the fact that I might have eaten a person. And I was like, God damn. <laughs> Could you imagine? And, like, she'll never know. She'll never know. There's no way to look that up. Yeah. But, all right. So this has gone on long enough. Um, Yeah, so uh, I think we're probably going to skip next week's episode because next Thursday is Thanksgiving. Um, but when I'm home, I'm going to try to convince Faith and Austin to do an episode with me. We'll see if that happens. Faith and Austin, if you're listening, make it happen. There you go. So, yeah, uh, everybody have a nice holiday weekend next week. Uh, just remember, don't touch that. It's haunted.